Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant, need-to-know information to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and for the team at all levels of the organization. Our goal is concise and relevant information because brevity signals respect. And the bookends of our podcast are always something to make you think deeper about life, about our topic, or both. And now, here's Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care RX. Delta Care RX is the title sponsor for our 2022 TCN Leadership Immersion Course. Our next one is actually in November. Delta Care RX is a premier vendor of TCN and provides pharmacy benefit management services that allow their clients to experience deep discounts, utilizing preferred local network of pharmacies that can provide same-day delivery when necessary. So thank you to Delta Care X and their entire team for the great work that they do in the hospice industry. Now, our guest today on TCN Talks is our own beloved Janelle McCallum, who is our Chief Clinical Operations Officer at Telios Collaborative Network. So Janelle, welcome. Thank you. Yes, yeah, good to have you. So what does our audience need to know about you, Janelle? Well, first of all, um, I just feel very honored to be on the podcast and talking about what I've learned so many years working in hospice and palliative care. One of my favorite topics about how the family and the patient feel and why it matters so much. Well, well Janelle, tell your story because I think you have such a cool story. You were one of my very first recruits, someone who I met many years ago traveling the country doing work and consulting work and I had a list of people I wanted to work with one one day, and you were tops on that list. I think folks would really enjoy your story. Well, it's a long story at this time, but um, I got my start as a young nurse taking care of dying people at the dawning of the AIDS crisis. So for a lot of folks, that seems like a really long time ago. At that time, I was a brand new nurse who jumped in ready to take on this whole new and scary contagious disease. And it seems it's been so interesting in these last um, years of COVID, how much, um, how much similarity there was back then. Well, at that time, little did I know that was really my gateway into caring for all people at the end of their life. And in that work, I found purpose and passion really, really early in my career. So what was interesting in those really early days of hospice we were thought of as showing up differently. And when I say differently, it was different than regular institutionalized medical care. So being with families and patients and spending extra time with them was natural to us. Um, Whereas the hospital and the other medical institutions were very formal and often formidable. Hospice was this naturally loving place and the philosophy of care was that we spent time with not only the patient, but also the family in a holistic way. Now, I look back on that time, and it felt really hurried, but it's certainly nothing compared to now. Um, At that time, hospice and palliative care really were outliers to traditional medical care, and families felt like they got that special loving treatment and care. And we want them to feel that same way today. Well, that's awesome, Janelle. And Something that just stuck with me and what you just said about it felt hurried then compared to today. And oh my gosh. And I think that probably just speaks to 
that human connection of the work that we do. And there's just never enough time in the world, right? To whenever you have that connection, you just want more and more of it. Well, I think it would be great also for you to just talk about just briefly your role at TCN. I think that'd be helpful for our listeners. Sure. So as the chief clinical operations officer, I get the privilege of walking alongside our clinical leaders as they provide leadership, direction, and support with the frontline staff. Um, They are really doing the hard work, and I get the privilege of walking alongside of them. I get to see how organizations communicate and they organize in order to deliver care and now meet all those compliance and quality metrics, which, again, back in the old days, we still wanted to provide great care, but we didn't have all of the really objective measures like we have today. Yeah, that's a great segue, Janelle. In fact, you remember my time as a studer coach, and the amazing thing about working in the studer group is that hospitals were all about those uh, survey scores, their Prescani scores. Yeah. And I remember thinking, this is coming to hospice. And in the early days, in fact, when you and I first worked together, when you were still in Denver, we would talk about that. And certainly those days are here now. So that's a good segue because you work a lot with patient family satisfaction with our TCM members. So why is that important? Well, as you said, family and patient satisfaction and their experiences have always been really important, but it's even more critical now since their experiences and their outcomes get measured and publicly reported. We see them on Medicare.gov, at Hospice Compare, and one of the really important metrics that we've been dealing with for quite some time now is CAPS, or the Consumer Assessment of Healthcare Providers. Now, many of our healthcare providers have CAPS, and we have one special to hospice. So we are measured on the family's experience of care. And this is where the most involved person completes a survey about their experience during their loved one's hospice stay. So different than home health CAPS, where the patient themselves completes their survey after they've been through home health, The hospice survey is different in that it's the most involved person who is completing the survey on behalf of the patient. Now, interestingly, this hospice cap survey measures the most involved person's experience, not only of their own support and care, but also their perception of the patient's experience. So imagine being in the seat of answering questions about a very challenging time in your own life as well as having to answer for that loved one that you cared for. That is a really interesting um, difference, especially from home health. This survey arrives around 60 days after the patient's death. So no wonder many of our families don't complete and return the survey. Oftentimes it stirs up a lot of emotions that are difficult or sad memories. And in fact, the national average for the return rate is about 32%. Wow. Well, you know, listening to that, um, and I could still remember um, when I was out doing coaching back in the days when I did work for the Student Covenant Alliance, people would push back pretty hard and just say, I just don't think this is relevant. And, and you know, compared to then, this was probably about 2008 or so. We now live at a time where people are surveyed just super frequently. It feels like every time you turn around, you even go to the mechanic to actually see your car and you get a survey for that as well. So, I can see people pushing back. So do you think they really can put stock in surveys and the outcomes? Well, I think we have to, right? At this point, the CAP survey is a requirement by CMS, and it must be administered by a third-party vendor partner. 
And there are several survey modes. There's a mailed survey, which most of us are familiar with, a phone survey, and soon there will be an online web option. There are also really strict rules about what hospice staff can and cannot say about the survey to our families, because like your example of the mechanic, you know, we have to be really careful that we don't ask them, you know, to give us a high rating and what could we do to get a high rating. And, you know, I think sometimes we wonder if all hospices are really following those rules. I know our TCN member organizations are super careful and, you know, are, are very good at making sure they do the right things. Now, your question about putting stock, um, that really got me to remembering about my early experience with those surveys. Um, back in the old days, some people might remember um, the FEC survey. Um, and even before that, some hospices would write their own surveys and send them out. But the early experience of surveys was that our perception of what the families thought often weren't really reflected in the actual survey results. And sometimes we missed the mark. And often we would blame the survey, like it wasn't worded well, we didn't agree with the, the word. But in reality, we had probably missed the mark and it broke our hearts. So we had to do better and we resolved to do a whole lot better. Well, well, that kind of gets us, Janelle, and you do some incredible work with our network. So how do you teach TCM members to improve their scores? Well, it was after many trials and errors and being in that place of having my heart broken, our team feeling like, wow, we just did not do as well as we thought or wanted to do. And so through those trials and errors, I created um, a framework called the Five Gems of Quality. Um, and these are the five things that must be done to ensure that the family and the patient, their experience is the best that it can be, and that it's not left to chance. What's interesting is I feel like there's two paths. There's the path of love and the path of strategy, and both matter when it comes to the CAPS outcomes. So on the path of love first, because that's always my favorite place to go. Um, one of the first ahas I had was that as a nurse, we actually focus on the patient. I mean, that is our training. And after all, they are the sick person. But our hospice roots have told us very clearly that the family and the patient are the unit of care, not just the patient. And it took me way too many years to realize, to really understand the wisdom of that maxim. My own experience and then research bears this out, that families actually suffer as much, if not more, than the sick and dying person. So reminding myself and other nurses about focusing on the family really makes all the sense in the world. And of course, our social workers and our chaplains have known this all, all along and um, were always reminding us to do so, but it really wasn't until I made that flip of saying family and patience that it really stuck for me. So I made the agreement with myself and then also said to our teams, let's flip the language to family and patient to call attention to the notion that our families need our time and support just as much as patients do. So you will always hear me say families and patients because it's become my habit. Now, the five gems is the strategy. So when we go to the five, to the strategy part, those, I know you're sitting on the edge of your seat waiting to hear what exactly are the five gems. So the first one is know the most involved person. 
And it's important that you and your team know who the most involved person is, not the most important person, but the most involved. After all, that's who will get the CAP survey. The second one is using keywords at key times. And I know we've heard about that in many other, in many other venues, but using keywords from the CAP survey reinforces all those great interventions and outcomes that you're providing every time you call or visit. But sometimes we don't use the exact words that are on the survey, even though we're providing those same interventions. So it's important to use keywords at key times. The third gem is the visits at end of life. We all know that our families and the most involved person really want to be assured that we are with them at those very last and difficult days. The fourth gem is that intentional bereavement interaction. At about 40 to 50 days post the patient's death, that reminds families that we have not abandoned them and that we are there in support. And then the fifth gem, and this is really the foundational one that really is kind of even the title of this, of this conversation. And that is how we make families feel is the really foundational gem. Um, how we show up being warm and confident and competent really does make a difference. So those are the five gems. That's so good, Janelle. Just the whole thing, everything that you just said, the love side and then the strategy side. Like we've been doing a lot of work on neuroscience and TCN, right? And it just occurred to me, you're really hitting kind of both sides of the brain with this wonderful strategy. And um, most importantly, you know, we do walk on sacred ground with this work and how people feel is really where the rubber meets the road. And that 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 family is going to survive the patient. Um, and in many cases, we never know how that might change the trajectory of their life. Have some amazing mission moments I could recite over the years as I was listening to you talk about just where caregivers have circled back to us. And it's just had the 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 hospice experience literally change the trajectory of their life. And so being more intentional with that, why would we not do that? <laughs> it's exactly, and I think we've, years ago, I had a hospice nurse just tell me, oh, Chris, this is all art. And I know what she was saying, because there is an art aspect to what we do, but even an artist has a canvas by which they do the work that they do. And I think this provides an amazing cam canvas. So, you know, just thinking about it, then, what advice would you have to hospice, palliative care leaders and staff, because those are the majority of our listeners, regarding patient family satisfaction? Well, I think, you know, as, as we've talked about, bringing our whole self to the bedside bringing our whole self to families. Um, one of the things that I had to learn in my career, because I'm kind of a fast walker and a fast doer of a lot of things. And I found that even though I thought I was being really efficient, that was sometimes a little unnerving and that I needed to slow down um, and actually let them know that I have time. Now, the other thing I had to do was change my own mindset and believe that I had the time. Um, and so I came to understand that our gift of time, that deep listening and that being compassionate and really leaning in really is the most potent medicine that we can offer. So that would be the first piece. Also remembering, even after we become experienced, that this is probably this family's first journey on this road 
Um, and it's one they really need us to be along with them in a wise and patient way, that we are that companion along the way to help them if they stumble, sometimes to show them the way or to give them choices. Another really important thing, again, after many, many years of doing this, this work in hospice and palliative care, I think is assuming positive intent. Our families are so stressed and they are often not at their best. And I've always um, recalled, um, I believe that when I looked it up, it's John Watson's words, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. And we just may not know at all what's really going on with folks. And the hour or the 45 minutes that we're in the home or visiting, visiting our families and patients, we just get a little snippet of what's going on in their life. Another thing I came to know was that there are three things that are a powerful combination for a clinician. Be warm, be confident, and be competent. And to me, those three things just go such a long way in helping us to come from a place of love and authenticity. And that then translate as deep caring and feeling truly known and cared for can really make such a big difference. So good, Janelle. And I feel like you embody that. And so um, you're so convincing with that because you walk that walk. You really do. So thank you for the great work that you do. I actually start with a couple of guests to go, and I, I want to keep with this because it makes a cool bookend to your story. But what's your favorite book and why? Okay, so I'm going to talk about three books that are all basically in the same vein. So the first is anything that author Brene Brown would have written. She is all about vulnerability and showing up with wholeheartedness and She's been really critical in my own uh, development and self-awareness. Um, an author that I read quite some time ago, Byron Katie, asked some really amazing, simple questions, and it's called The Work. And here are the four questions that often, if I have time to reflect, really make a difference when encountering any sort of situation or thought pattern. One, is it true? Can you be absolute, can you absolutely know that it's true? Like check yourself. And then three, how do you react when that happens and when you believe that thought? And then this is the fourth that is so cool. Who would you be? Who would I be without that thought? What kind of possibilities emerge? And so again, um, Byron Katie is, is really wise, I think, with those four questions. And then last, and most recent for me is the book called Positive Intelligence by Shirzad Shamin. And I feel like he has put together this exquisite combination of neuroscience, of cognitive behavioral psychology, positive psychology, and performance science. And it ties up this wisdom of the ages into really simple habits to improve mental fitness and stress management. So all of those books you can see kind of have a theme and they've helped me to dig deeper into understanding how my thoughts drive my actions, whether for good or for ill, and learning that um, how I think um, and thus how I show up really matters. And it's been part of my self-mastery, the journey, of course, we're never there, I'm never there, but part of um, the journey of living out my cause and purpose. 
Wow. Well, Janelle, thank you. And you embody everything that you just said. You really, I love that term. You said the wisdom of the ages. And I love how you take so much wisdom that you've harvested from others. And you know, you brought Shirzad to not only our TCN team, but even now our whole network and how that weaves in with the technical skills of doing this work. And I think produces a great outcome. And we see it in a lot of our members, cap scores, et cetera, and just the more joy in doing their work. And that's because of your leading and coaching. So thank you. Really appreciate you. And then I'll leave our listeners that always do with a, a bookend of our podcast, which is a quote. This is the one that Janelle actually picked, and it's from Mayo Angelou, which is, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks. <laughs>